0: Hello, welcome to Careers Talk where I, Kerry Eustace, will be channelling the spirit of Wall Street's iconic banker, Gordon Gecko. Why? Well, recent figures suggest that graduate stocks are on the rise when it comes to employment in banking. Vacancies are up 37% in the sector. So, big deals, long lunches and sharp suits, is this really what the banking sector is about? Later on, we'll be pumping John Moorwood, Head of Graduate Recruitment at HSBC, for some insider dealings on jobs in the banking sector. Plus, excitingly, the resident graduate slot returns this week. Politics grad Eva Berryman has joined us to explain why she has her heart set on political journalism. Hello, Eva. Hi, Gary. Tell me a bit about what you've been doing since you graduated.
1: Uh, well, since graduation, I have been catching up on my social life, which <laughs> <laughs> I've been lacking for the last year in my final year at uni. And I've also been doing some work experience uh, to improve my CV. Well, we'll hear more
0: about what you're up to yeah. later. <laughs> now, as always, we're going to share our picks of this week's careers news. Here to help, I have Harriet, lunch is for wimps, Minter, and <laughs> Ali, greed <laughs> is good, white. Hello.
2: Hi. charming intro. <laughs> thought you <laughs> might <laughs> like that
0: one. Um, <laughs> Harriet, have you got a story
2: to say? <laughs> I am going to talk about um, online mentoring programs for NEETS, which, as we all know, are not in education, employment or training. And this one is one that's been started by the government. It's called Resync. And the idea is that it brings together people with vast ranges of experience. So going from those who have just been employed to those who've been working for 50 odd years. You can go on and ask them questions and get their advice and get their help. I was reading up a bit about mentoring and somebody said that nobody has ever succeeded without a mentor. And I think that's that's really true. I think it's so lovely to have somebody that you can sound your ideas off about. You can go to outside of your organization and say, I'm really worried about this or I've got a problem with this or how do I deal with this? And they have the experience and wisdom to help you talk it through and find a solution to it the whole point of Resync is that it's aimed at people who are trying to get a job at the moment and um, so you can go in and ask them questions about how to do it what you should apply for what things you're suited at if you're interested in a specific career you can go on there and try and find somebody who's in that career and ask them what it's like and then you can go back again and say oh I've been for one interview but it didn't go very well this is what I did and they can maybe give you pointers for the next one and they're there to kind of track you through your career. So it's really nice. To yeah, it's a good scheme. Um, if anybody's looking as well for
0: specific sector mentors, lots of organisations do this. I know yeah. like the Media Trust, for example, will put people who want to work in that sector of journalism in touch with a journalist who you can then work alongside with, you know, spend a couple of hours with to find out about their career and get the support that you were talking about. Absolutely. And and lots of professional bodies do it, don't they?
2: Yeah, and I think one of our careers advisors once gave a great tip, which was... If you can't find a professional body, go online, find somebody who works in a company that you like, and just email them and say, I'm really interested in working in this sector. I've read a bit about you. Could you spare half an hour for a coffee?
3: I would be very, very grateful. And actually, most people are quite flattered when you do that. Definitely. Well I've got a story about people that are striking out by themselves and it's graduate entrepreneurs and there was a survey of a thousand students graduating in 2010 and 2011 by specialist SME insurer Hiscox showing that 32% have a business idea and are making plans to start their own business in the near future. (laughs) And 60% of these graduates opt for traditional business over pure online enterprises. So, you know, that's quite interesting as well that areas like retail and IT are fields they hope to succeed in. Because I think you think entrepreneurs and you think some really like Dragon's Den type innovative <laughs> product. But it's really interesting as well because one in three declared they started their course intending to start up a business. So it's not like they're plucking ideas out the sky, looking at the recession, going, oh, no. But I think there is an element of that as well. And it's funny as well because Harriet's got a Q&A coming up next um, week. I'm running a QA and yeah. a week on how to become a graduate entrepreneur
2: and we've got people from the national council for graduate entrepreneurs from nesta who give um support and sometimes even money (laughs) to uh, want to be entrepreneurs and we've also got people who have been there and done it themselves including one guy who started a software company from his back room back in 1993 when he was you know about 21 and sold it for 750 million pounds wow i know yeah i will be chatting him
3: up (laughs) (laughs)
0: okay my story is about a uh, survey that was commissioned by orange to look into the hopes and aspirations of the class of 2010 and the findings were that flexible working is more important than money to new graduate job seekers which i thought was really surprising um that flexible (laughs) working was so important (laughs) and that people didn't care about salary um i must say that flexible working was only sort of like two percent above salary Mm -hmm. in their preferences and actually um experiences in professional development was six, got 69% of their, mm. uh, the, their vote, whereas flexible working got 53% and salary got 51%. Okay. Um, Eva, what do you think? Is that, Are these priorities well, that you
1: share? Well, I definitely agree. I was quite surprised just because I think after four years or three years at university, living off the student overdraft and everything like that, that people would really want, like you said, to take any job and anything that they can work their way up the ladder and get a good salary. But at the same time, I think in this day and age, students are prepared that they not only do they want to be flexible, but they need to be flexible because with the iPhone and everything, all the technology that you can use, you can work from home quite easily in the evening. You can work times that um, might suit you, but I think it can suit the employer as well. So I'm kind of surprised about the salary, but not so much about the flexible side of it because that kind of represents me, I think.
0: And yeah. I think it's fair to say that these are more desirable things about a job. They're not yeah. demands that people are no. making in interview. Yeah. Um, but there was an interesting point in the story which said that the class of 2010 could be the start of a new generation of employees who work wherever and whenever it suits Mm. them you know because of the emergence of technology and stuff like that which I thought was quite interesting because when I graduated which since maybe six or so years ago it certainly wasn't a priority for me
2: no well I think flexible working sounds very nice until you're living in some dingy flat in a dodgy part of the city with an unemployed flatmate who lounges around eating cornflakes in front of the tv and then Then you want to go to an office yeah Yeah. or with a dodgy broadband connection (laughs) with a dodgy
3: broadband yeah you pay for the heating in the
0: <laughs> right we hosted a debate on the site this week about the value of a master's degree in the current job market and um, it's clearly something a lot of you are concerned about Ali what was uh this Q&A like
3: it was great because we had a lot of different opinions but a lot of people coming in to share their own experiences and advice as well Um sort of brings me onto my first point that I picked out it was uh one of our readers who graduated in 2004 who has an MSc And he had some good advice about funding yourself through this because at the end of the day, it's quite a big investment. And he says, look, student loans are off-limit as well because it's postgraduate. So look at private finance, such as career development loans. But make sure you can afford it, you know. Um, You have to really think about what you're going to be earning afterwards because, you know, you you sell yourself with that debt. If you're not going to, he says around, you need to earn about £25,000 to be able to make the average repayment on, you know, the kind of loan you might need to take. So it's well worth thinking about what you're going to do afterwards before you sort of embark on that course. And looking at it in a different way, I found this really interesting was um, master's can actually help you if you've had a long break from your specialist kind of area. So if you've left that your workplace for one reason or another and are hesitant to come back in from the cold, as it were, is maybe find a practically orientated master's programme, which can kind of act as a refresher, enhance your skills and you know how, and maybe just be the thing you need to make that step back into your particular area of expertise. So good advice there. And last of all, um, it was uh, some good advice from one of our uh, panelists about, you know, recruiters want to know why you decided to do this course and what you gained from it. You know, some of the skepticism that surrounds postgrad sometimes comes from interviewing them and finding they're unable to articulate what they've gained from the program and what they can bring to the workplace from that. So, you know, you've got to really have a clear view of what you want to gain from the outset and provide evidence of the added value that your course has provided you. So, you know, at the end of the day, giving your qualification up on a bit of paper on your CV or whatever is not just going to wow them, you know, knock them dead. You've got to really show them why you did it and what you you gained from it. So what were the employer's thoughts about the value of
0: it? Is it still something worthwhile doing or...? Perhaps not. Um, Is experience more valuable?
3: Yeah, well, there's obviously certain areas where it's, you know, almost essential, like obviously academia and um, stuff like engineering, I think there's specialist areas there and there's some more advice on the chat. I think work experience is really valued and a lot of people said that and even if you can get your work experience before you do your master's program because um, I think employers are more often than not wanting to see real life experience but at the end of the day that doesn't mean you shouldn't do a master's program I think the other overriding message you don't have to rush into it you don't have to do it right now you know if you think a qualification will help you you could be doing it in two years time perhaps so Thanks very much. No problem.
0: Now, so far in our series of podcasts about breaking into particularly popular professions, we've covered law. And next up, we have the banking sector. Reason being, in some recent research from High Flyers, when it came to the volume of applications for each role, banking and finance was up there with the top three most popular sectors. Behind consumer goods and media, this sector gets on average of 74 applications for each role. So, to help your career to boom rather than bust, we're now joined by John Morwood, Head of Graduate Recruitment at HSBC, one of the world's largest banking and financial services organisations, and winner of Grad Employer of the Year at this year's Target Job Awards. He's going to be offering some advice to, better be careful how I say this, the would-be bankers out there. Hello, John.
4: Hello, Kerry, and I hope it does become a boom for everybody.
0: Oh, good. Yeah, well... Let's just start off. What do we mean when we say banking? What are the sort of career options in this sector?
4: I think it's a really good question because um, there's two major differences. One, you've got to look at investment banking, and second, you've got to look at retail and commercial banking. Everybody has that sort of image of investment banking, of how can I put these long lunches, liquid lunches, Porsche's, flats (laughs) here, there and everywhere. But there's a very different world outside, as in the retail and commercial banking area. How do you divide up the various schemes? Well, you could say that investment banking is looking very much for analysts. So we're looking for people with a lot of analytical skills, but can also do relationship management at a very high level. The sort of person who will be able to feel very comfortable in having a conversation with a, say, FTSE 100, managing director, CEO, that sort of individual. Concentration very much on people skills at a high level, and analytical skills as well. And if you're looking at a bank that probably has an investment bank as well as a retail and commercial bank in its operation, as is the case with us, probably about a third of all graduate roles are going into that investment banking sector. So in that case, where's the other two-thirds going? Well, the other two-thirds go into a very different world of retail and commercial banking. That's your typical high street bank or your commercial centres. And what you're looking for there is, as it the to commercial centres, it's again people that can actually um, develop a very good working relationship with company directors of a whole range of different firm types, from a small firm that may be on an industrial estate, right through to a firm that may be multinational, but may be just short of stock exchange listings. So again, we're looking for uh, people who can read a balance sheet, they can actually talk business language with a firm, but also may have a bit of a more entrepreneurial slant there. Flip that over and you've got the third category, which is very much the retail side of a bank, and that's very much the high street. And all of a sudden, although business judgment is still important, much more important is the leadership element. Because a lot of banks, what they're doing in this particular area, are looking for the future leaders of the bank. So, three big chunks, and then just underlying those chunks as well, because banks are very big organisations, and what you'll find inside a lot of banks are more specialist requirements. So, many banks will look for people who perhaps want to have a career in HR, people who want to have a career in logistics, for example, or purchasing, and they'll recruit in smaller numbers and the big three areas I've mentioned, but nevertheless it's always useful to have a look there because don't assume with a bank it's a question simply of retail, commercial, or investment banking.
0: Did you have any talent attraction problems following the recession when you know it was kind of going through a bit of an image crisis banking wasn't it? How did that affect um what you're doing
4: it's a really interesting question because um What we found was that certainly, and and this applies across the investment banking, interesting investment banking when people like Lehman's were going down, all of a sudden nobody was applying for investment banking at all.
0: Is that because there weren't any jobs or they just weren't applying?
4: Um, Some people weren't applying. Um, also, a lot of the investment banks actually then took their intake in from people who are already working with other investment banks that had then failed. So the truth is there's probably a limited supply there as well.
0: It seems John that that image crisis has now sort of uh, faded away slightly. applications are up thirty three percent now in the sector, according to the high flies research um what 's driving that within the sector? do you think
4: I, I think you 're absolutely right. Um, a lot of people have actually said right, okay. Um, Um, they've got over that feeling that banking may not be for them. They've got over the fact that there's been a lot of adverse press and also, they've probably realised that there are some banks that, you know, hey, didn't have to take money from the government, that their investment banking arms actually um, were able to withstand the problems. And therefore, there's a belief, in a way, that the organisations that are actually left, because they have gone through a rough time and emerged safe outside that rough time, then they will even more worthwhile organisations to work for. So I know that sounds quite strange but that's certainly what we are picking up when we go out on campus.
0: But vacancies are also up in the sector so what's driven that growth would you say?
4: I think there's two things. Um, What you tend to find in graduate recruitment in banking is that um, retail and commercial banking will keep its figures very stable um, throughout a recession. Uh, The investment banks are the ones that will uh, when a recession starts, we'll actually reduce the number of uh, vacancies, and when a recession is, is about to end, up the vacancies will go again. So it's much more cyclical, and that is certainly one of the things we're seeing in the industry. The second thing that we've seen in the industry, and again it's been driven by um, regulatory pressure by the Financial Services Authority, is a need to get a more professional and skilled workforce. And so what you're seeing um, many employers doing now is actually increasing their numbers, whereas previously they might have said, look, we're only going to recruit this number of graduates because we know what the future leadership numbers are that we need in six or eight years' time, and therefore that's the number of graduates we need. What they're actually considering is actually bringing in graduates to do other what we might have referred to as non-graduate jobs.
0: Do you think that graduates have an accurate perception of what it's like in banking? I mean, you said that people that were thinking about investment had now been considering roles in retail. Are there any sort of myths out there about what banking is about?
4: Two years ago, we did a survey of our graduates and, and they, they, they turned around and said, you know, career uh, with HSBC is rather like being in the TARDIS in Doctor Who. You know, you look at it from the outside and you don't really know the wonderful things that are in there until you actually get in, yeah. which I thought was not only being a Doctor Who buff, but I thought that was <laughs> really, really a very telling point. And so what we, we've done and we've spent a lot of time doing is actually getting our graduates out there to talk with undergraduates at the university and say, look, hey, this is what you may think about banking is but actually this is what I do on a day-to-day basis I think there are still some misconceptions out there but they're getting reduced in numbers.
0: Um, Graduate schemes and training schemes are quite a prevalent way into the industry can you think of any things that what has impressed you about this year's round of graduates you know what are they doing right and what does it take to stand out and impress you?
4: I think there's been a major change in, 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 the, in the graduate approach this year. People who've been coming up to us at career fairs have done their research. They know exactly what HSBC does. They've been through the website. They've worked out the schemes that they actually want to apply for. And they come to you with very, very specific questions. That's the first time we've actually had that. So the graduates are much more prepared
0: can you give us any examples of the questions that perhaps they asked or the ones that are, are going to hit the mark when they come and speak to you?
4: Yeah, um, for example, you, you, um, previously in the past, someone would go and say, Look, I've perhaps been on your website, and I'm interested in um, details of uh, the retail management scheme. Here's what one graduate that has subsequently joined us actually did. And this is where it, 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 it's got really, really interesting. Uh, they turned around and said, I went onto your website, I looked at the values page. And then I decided I was going to test your values because we make a great play on our website about the customer service proposition, what we actually do. Uh, So how can I put this? Get this. They actually went around and tested the service that we actually gave in one of our branches. They then compared it against the service they got with three of our competitors. On the basis of their experience, then they decided to apply. Now, that's the first time I've ever come across that approach, but it was very, very interesting.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that other people should take note of, don't you? And uh, What else would sort of stand out? Maybe it's sort of application stage. I mean, what are the sort of the best practices when it comes to applying for the scheme directly?
4: Best practices. Make sure that you... Get into the mindset that this is the one job application you are actually going to make and tailor your application accordingly. You know, it does give a game away when you're looking for an application form uh, about why someone wants to join HSBC and they go, I would love to have a career in Sony uh, because they simply haven't altered the application form from the application form they submitted to Sony, obviously, uh, previously. So do please tailor your application and also... Um, Spend some time going onto the website, having a word with, say, the grads at university, to find out the key things we are looking for and tailor your application accordingly. We know that 15% of all applicants will fail on application form or, if as we do, we don't use an application form on some of our schemes, we use candidate questionnaires, whereby people are saying... In a way, I haven't got the experience you're looking for. So make sure you do articulate. You have got the experience we're looking for. Second thing is people will fail unbelievably at numerical and verbal reasoning stage on the recruitment process. And how can I put this? 30% of all applicants will fail on numerical reasoning, which sounds awful, indeed. And probably about 10% of all applicants will fail on verbal reasoning. Now, many employers will actually put tests on their website. So, hey, guess what? Practice using the tests that are put on the website, folks. And then 20 odd percent of all grads will fail when they come to telephone interview. Now, this is before the assessment center, and they'll fail because they haven't actually prepared. And preparation is really key here. So, all employers will be looking for the same things, guys. They'll be looking for how well do you work with people? They'll be looking for how well do you lead a team? They'll be looking for how well do you do this customer thing? What have you done outside your academic um, studies to actually develop yourself? Have you got a passion for developing yourself? And yes, we'll also bear in mind, as I said, that a lot of these schemes leading to leadership. In order to be a leader, you need to make decisions. You need to have MI to make decisions. Can you show that you can use data to drive a decision? Now, if you can prepare examples which show you've already done that, you're on to a winner. But here's the icing on top of the cake, if I can put it like that. When I'm recruiting people, I want them to show how great they are, but I have a supplementary question. And a supplementary question always goes like this. You've given me a great example of where you've actually led people. Now tell me of an example where it didn't work so well but what you learned from it. Now, folks, I don't actually give a damn about people getting it wrong because, hey, guess what, we do all the time. What I am interested in is what you've learned from it. So if you can prepare examples of good and bad, you're going to get through this telephone interview. You aren't going to be one of the 20% of people who fail.
0: Excellent advice, John. Um, You've given us loads of tips there, but have you got a parting piece of advice that you'd like to give to our listeners?
4: Two pieces of advice. One, don't believe that you cannot apply for banking because you haven't got a degree in a finance or related subject. Only 50% of my grads have a degree in banking, accountancy, economics, business studies, that sort of thing. One of my best retail Um, graduates as a degree in nursing, so I leave you with that thought. And the second thing is please, 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 please seize the opportunity of getting work experience either through an internship scheme, and we, like a number of our competitors, do first-year internships as well as penultimate-year internships, because at the end of the day, of our applicants, 40% of people will have had work experience but 65% of our successful applicants have had work experience. So make sure you get out there, get some effective work experience that you could talk to us about.
0: Thanks, John. I've got to ask, though, how do you go from nursing to banking, retail banking?
4: And, you know, it's a really interesting question. And I have to sort of, you know, take 10 and have a coffee to think about it. But (laughs) if you think of retail banking as being where you don't know what any day is going to be, you've really got to inspire your team to serve the customer You're totally driven by the customer, by who's coming in through that door or phoning up. Perhaps it's not as different from things like Holby City as you might think, except hopefully it hasn't got the blood attached, but there you go.
0: So they successfully identified their transferable skills and communicated those to you then?
4: And that's one of the secrets, really is... Think of the skills you learn. Don't be um, misled by thinking it's all about the academic discipline. It's what are the transferable skills you've learned. It's how do I serve a customer, whoever that customer may have been. How do I handle a bit of pressure? How do I lead people through difficult situations? And that's the skills that anybody's looking for.
0: Thanks again to John Morwood from HSBC. We're off to France now for a charmingly-themed Jobs Top 10. Charlie Vincent from Guardian Jobs is here to
3: help Ali reveal the chart. Kicking off the countdown at 10, we have a role for a translator with the French Embassy.
4: At 9, it's an online content executive from Orchard Recruitment.
3: In at 8, Prospero Teaching are looking for a French and drama teacher.
0: Aquint are looking for media sales executives at seven.
3: Six is a project officer for Reprieve.
0: Into the top five with Netta porter recruiting for an advertising and partnerships executive.
3: We've a PR manager in Monte Carlo at four.
0: And a senior secretary based in the south of France from Amanda Newell at three.
3: Un petit peu away from the top spot at two. It's an editor in global project finance from the Media Network.
0: But the premier spot this week goes to Médecins Sans Frontières, who are recruiting for doctors,
3: nurses and much, much more.
0: For more info, to apply or to find something completely different, you can visit guardianjobs.co.uk. Now, talking of competitive industries, our resident grad, Eva, um, you're
1: keen to break into journalism, aren't you? Why is that? Why
0: on earth would you want to do that
1: then? (laughs) Some people would say I'm crazy trying to get into such a competitive industry, but I did consider doing a conversion course into law but decided that my heart wasn't in it and that I wanted to do something that I enjoyed and that the skills involved were something that I thought I was good at or that I could develop. And so that was why, really, yeah.
0: What sort of exposure have you had to
1: journalism then that made you really interested in it? Um, Initially, I did some work experience at The Independent on the travel desk and I enjoyed that. And then when I went to university, I got involved with the student paper, met some really great people, got some experience and thought it might be an industry I'd like to get into. And so then looking at how you go about doing it, realised that work experience, I think, was key to get onto a postgrad course and so that's what I've kind of been working out at the moment and that's what I hope to work out over the next year before I apply for the course.
0: What is the nitty-gritty, you know, what do you like about it? Is it sort of finding stories? Is it interviewing people? Is it the writing process? What sort of captured your imagination there?
1: For me, the main thing is the interaction with people and reporting on things that matter to people But also on on a day-to-day basis is meeting new people, um, interviewing people, talking to people, that really appeals to me. The writing as well, but the main thing is that for me.
0: Were there any sort of standout stories that you broke on your Um, uni
1: paper? I enjoyed working on a story about a local school that had been closed down and there was a big debate because the students and a local community group wanted to turn it into a community centre. But there was a possibility that it would be sold to be made into private flats and at my university there was the argument that there were already far too many private flats so I reported on that and it was really interesting to see because it was local politics combined with student politics so that was really interesting to see. On the subject of
0: politics, you did a politics degree, didn't you? So why did you choose that subject? And you also sort of pursued that, didn't you, sort of experience what that was like?
1: I spent my third year um, living in Strasbourg. Uh, I studied there, studied politics, but also did an internship at the European Parliament, which was a fantastic opportunity. I learned a lot. I almost didn't do the internship because I thought I should concentrate on my studies, but I was encouraged to do it, and now I'm really glad because... I think people like that you do something that's outside the outside your comfort zone. Are there any journalists
0: that sort of stand out for you that you sort of um, influence your
1: career choice? Um, <laughs> typical, I'd probably say, but Jon Snow. <laughs> I love watching Channel 4 News. I think he does what a journalist should do, reports accurately, but also connects with the, the people that he's broadcasting to. So what are the next steps for you then? Postgrad? Um, well, I'm taking a year out. I'm actually moving to Paris in September. So I'm taking a year wow. out because I want to work on writing. I want to actually get some, although I might have work experience, I want to try and do some writing. Um, and I also want to try and perfect my French because it's not not, not not there yet at all. So I'm going to do that and then apply for the postgrad and see what happens really. It's quite scary, but I think I'm quite excited about it all as well. Um, As somebody who's done a fair few placements already and you've Mm. got some more lined up, what sort of tips would you have for making the most of it? Um, One thing that i found when I apply through applications online and stuff like that, you don't have the personal touch. And I think phoning people... It just always makes a difference just phoning people and saying, do you have any work experience? Recently I found something that wasn't on the web or hadn't been put on the web yet. And I phoned up and said, are you likely to? And they said yes. And so I was kind of the first person in there because I'd done it before they'd advertised the internship online. And I think that definitely helps. I think employers like to talk to people. So I'd say don't be afraid to just pick up the phone and phone people and ask, you've got nothing to lose, really. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks very much. Good luck. Thank you you very
0: much. (laughs) Nearly time to close this deal, but not before we tell you about what's coming up on the site next week.
3: Okay, August the 2nd, we've got How to Become a Graduate Entrepreneur, mentioned earlier in the show. August the 5th, we have Roots into Accountancy. And August the 6th, rounding off the week, we have The Rise of the User Experience Design Sector. And
0: that's it for this week. Thanks very much to our guests, John Moorwood, Charlie Vincent from Guardian Jobs, our resident graduate, Eva Berryman, and of course, Harriet Minter and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by Kate Taylor. I'm Kerry Eustace. Until next week, goodbye.